are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Great to see all of you this morning. I'm excited to get into um, our second week um, of 1 Peter. We started this series uh, last Sunday, so uh, man, we have a great text, uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Now, looking forward to, to diving into this uh, with you guys. I mentioned last week that really the central theme of 1 Peter is this, that he's trying to encourage these believers Now that he calls exiles who are scattered throughout these Asian provinces, he's encouraging these believers to persevere as they endure suffering and trial. It's a a letter encouraging them to continue in the faith. And so I was thinking about stories of incredible endurance uh, this week, of resiliency, of perseverance through trial. And I remembered a, a book that I read about 10 years ago. Have any of you read the book Unbroken? Anybody read that book? Anybody read that? Um, a few years later, it was made into a film. Certainly read the book first. Um, as always, the book's better, right? There was just too much uh, that happened um, in Louis Zamperini's life to include in this, this two-hour movie. I don't even know how to give you a synopsis of his life. It is just so much that happened, but I'm going to zoom in on a particular uh, moment or a particular few weeks in his life. See, he was uh, fighting in uh, World War II, and his plane went down over the Pacific, all right? And so um, out of 11 guys on his aircraft, only three of them survived. He was one of them. He found their way into this inflatable yellow raft. And so they're thinking, hey, we're going to be here for a few hours at most, a day or two. And then surely people will be looking for us, we'll be easy to spot, we'll get picked up. So spoiler alert, you know, it's been out for like 14 years now, sorry. Um, but the, they were not there for just a couple of days. That Louis and uh, these guys, actually one of them uh, died along the way, but Louis and one other guy were in this raft until they were rescued. They were in it for 47 days. They drifted 2,000 miles across the Pacific Ocean with very little rations. They were attacked by sharks. Um, At other points, they were shot at by enemy planes. And then 47 days later, they were rescued. They drifted up to an island that happened to be occupied by the Japanese. So now they were prisoners of war. And so a few days into this um, journey, if you will, as they were floating. Uh, they had run out of their rations. They're absolutely starving, and all they can think about is food. So their spirits are getting down, and so kind of in order to pass the time, in order to lift their spirit, Louis begins preparing meals for the group. And of course, these are imaginary meals. And so he starts going through the menu for what's up for breakfast. And he tells them about the menu. And then he describes the the, the entire recipe to cook whatever he is cooking. And he describes the process of getting the pots and the pans out and uh, turning on the stove. And he describes the sounds and the smells and the whole process going through this mental picture of preparing this food until it comes out of the oven and he plates it and he serves it to them. 
And then they eat it together. They're in the raft and talk about how good it was. And they're just sitting here waiting. Hey, that was a great breakfast. I wonder what Louis is going to cook for lunch. Uh, so he had this problem, though, that he only knew a few recipes, like uh, most of us, I guess. So he would have to start cycling back through them on the boat. And they would correct him if he missed an ingredient or something. They'd say, hang on, you got to go back. You got to cook it right. And so this is what they would do. And they were clinging to this hope of food, this, this reality that one day we will get to taste actual food again, and it helped them endure this incredible story of resilience. I mean, 47 days in this raft. Similar, Peter is doing this to these believers in Asia. He's putting this sure and steady hope in their minds, this anchor through the trials. You can picture what he's doing in these verses as, as he's preparing a gospel meal, uh, if you will. It's, it's something for them to come back to. It's a, it's a reminder, an anchor. And so he just goes on and on about the beauty and depth and richness of the gospel, even though they had likely heard it before. It was good for them to be reminded of this good news. So put that thought in your mind as we work through uh, verses 3, 4, and 5 here. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope. I think that's the, really the central phrase in this group of verses this morning. This is a grounded hope a certain and firm hope based in reality. Remember, hope in the biblical sense, it's really similar to faith. It's this forward-looking faith. It's not just wishful thinking, the way we think of hope, but living hope is centered on a living Savior. So similar to what we covered last week, Peter's reminding them that God is the initiator in their new birth. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. God has caused us to be born again. He is the author, the initiator. But listen, Peter's quick to say it's not according to their merit, not according to their performance. They didn't earn it, but they received new birth according to what? His great mercy. So there's a means by which this living hope is made possible for Peter. I want you to see this. It's mentioned at the end of verse 3. So we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That There's a connection here with us being able to have this new life and living hope. There's a connection between that and Christ's work on the cross. That the new birth is accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Just like we sang, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So Christ, on our behalf, died on the cross, purchasing salvation for sinners. Scripture would call Him the propitiation for our sin, the appeasing sacrifice, the satisfying payment. His blood atones for our sin. Paul puts it like this in Romans 3. And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So without the resurrection from the dead, we would not have access to living hope. Christ not only died on our behalf, taking the punishment of our sin, but He rose from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death. So our hope, our living hope, hinges on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless. Your faith is in vain, and we are of all people to be most pitied. The resurrection isn't true. What are we doing here? Let's just go home. But Christ paid the penalty for our sin in our place so that God's wrath could be satisfied and we might receive Christ's righteousness. That's wonderful news, isn't it? The hymn we sing came to mind. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look, I see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Man, that's beautiful, isn't it? I want to put these pieces together. So there's a result of this living hope. So we're born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to what? To verse 4, to an inheritance that is an imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Born again to a living hope that results in an inheritance that's secured for us. An inheritance. Maybe some of you in your time have collected an inheritance at some point, maybe large or small, maybe you've had a family member pass on, leave you uh, some money, preferably maybe some random things that you may or may not want, who knows, leave some possessions to you, some keepsakes. But Peter wants to emphasize the worth of this inheritance to these exiles, that they need to live in light of this reality of this immense inheritance that's secured for them, reminded me um, of the movie Rain Man. You guys remember that movie? Don't y'all love that movie? Um, Rain Man uh, is this uh, autistic savant, this lovable character. He's played by Dustin Hoffman. Um, Tom Cruise is his brother. So Tom Cruise is this ruthless young businessman. And Tom Cruise's father uh, is very wealthy, and this father dies and bequeaths all of his multi-million dollar fortune, not to Tom Cruise, but to Ray, all right? And so Tom Cruise at this point doesn't even know Ray exists, and so he tries to develop this relationship with Ray to get his hands on some of this inheritance. And so this story is really about Tom Cruise's change of heart, developing this relationship with Ray, his goodness just kind of winning over Tom Cruise. But the, but the thing is, Tom Cruise was all about this inheritance, but Ray, he didn't really care about it, right? That was part of the lovable thing about him. It didn't really change his life. He didn't understand it. He just kind of wanted to watch People's Court. I don't know if you remember that. That was his thing. But Peter wants these exiles in Asia to think about and understand their inheritance because it helps them know how to live. It helps them uh, get through these trials. So he says it's imperishable. It won't expire. 
You won't run out of it. It's undefiled. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. It's unfading. It will persevere. It will not change. It's durable. And it's kept in heaven for you. So the mental picture I have is this this vault that's secure and strong. It's guarded. It's, It's impenetrable. And inside of it is this valuable inheritance. It can't be stolen. It's safe. It's kept. I mean, Danny Ocean could not put together the right team of folks who could break in and steal this. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you if you're in Christ. So let's put these pieces together. Let's put this meal together. Born again to a living hope because of God's mercy, not because of anything we've done. How do we have access to that hope? It's accomplished through Jesus Christ, work on the cross, raising from the dead. And what's the result? It results in this inheritance for us. It's undefiled, unfading, and perishable. It's kept. Altogether, it's a beautiful truth. It's something to fix our attention on, to think about. Peter emphasizes this wonderful reality for the believer. He puts it at the forefront of their minds. Why? Why do they need to know it? Why do we need to know it? Because they need to be able to persevere. Verses 6 and 7. Trials produce tested genuine faith. Let's read it. Verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials, and likely these these trials will only intensify for these believers. And yet God has seen fit to put these trials in their life and God has seen fit to put trials in our life why would he do that it's the purpose it says here that it's a way to test and refine our faith so last Sunday we talked a little bit about progressive sanctification that the spirit works in our hearts making us progressively more like Christ to mold us into Christ's image That we look at Christ's life, though, the image that we're being molded into, when we look at him, he actually suffered often, didn't he? He was even called this man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. So it shouldn't surprise us, y'all. It shouldn't surprise us that in order to develop Christ-like character, we will need to endure trials ourselves in these Trials test us. They refine us. And Peter uses this metaphor of gold, right? That, that in order to be purified or refined, gold is first crushed. After it's crushed into fine dust, then it's heated. And, and it's heated so that the impurities or this dross, as it's called, can be removed so it's pure and valuable. It's the process. And the fire that refines the gold is similar to the trials that refine the believer. We could easily give testimony to this, right? If we, if we pass the mic around, that'd be fun. I'd be kind of nervous about it, but that'd be fun. Uh, we could pass the mic around. 
give testimony of, of difficulty and hardship and heartache in our life, that actually those are the times when our faith was strengthened and tested and that in a different way we experienced the nearness of God, that our faith was grown, that we learned patience, long-suffering, perseverance. We could, we could testify to that. For me, certainly I could. As a young man, the process of starting to own my faith, it began during times of tragedy and pain. Might you be able to relate? Peter calls the type of faith that endures these trials precious. It's more precious than gold. And he says this type of faith brings glory and honor to Jesus. So I look at many of you out here and you encourage me in all sorts of ways. But in recent months, one of the most encouraging things about you, brothers and sisters, is your perseverance, your endurance. We've been through a lot together collectively, a lot of transition, a lot of obstacles in the last couple of years. And that's just collectively knowing that if I were to go to each one of you individually, that there would be more potentially trials or heartaches or hurts that I'm unaware of that you have endured. And yet, by God's grace, you persevere. You're here persevering. That's the mark of a true believer. And though you may not feel like persevering, maybe you're really struggling. Maybe you're limping, hobbling. You are barely moving, hanging on by a thread. And you're asking yourself, am I persevering? Really? Am I? What does that look like? Persevering to the ends, the mark of a true believer. How do I know if I'm persevering? I want you to look at verses 8 and 9. See if these words stir your heart a bit. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. That Peter is commending these believers for their continued love for Christ, even though they hadn't seen him. Brother and sister, though your faith hasn't been made sight, I ask you this morning do you love Christ? Do you believe in Him? Can you rejoice in Him this morning? Maybe you don't love Him perfectly. We certainly still struggle. But do you love Christ? I'm not asking, did you love Him at one time in the past? I'm not asking, did you believe in Him at one time in the past? But do you love Him today, now? If I were to ask you, how do you know that you've been born again to a living hope? I wonder what you would say. I wonder what I might say. How do we know that we've been born again to a living hope? How would we respond? What's our proof of rebirth? I heard one pastor say it like this, commenting on this text. He said, if, if someone asked you for proof of life, like in a hostage situation, right? 
you wouldn't send them a copy of your birth certificate, right? You wouldn't send them a, a photo of the day you were born. Your proof of life is that you're breathing, right? You would send them a video. You know, in the movies, they're always holding the newspaper to mark the date or whatever. You're breathing. Your heart's beating currently. It's proof of life. So maybe you're someone who knows the exact date, moment, time, all the details of when exactly you turn to Christ. I hope that's comforting for you. But if you don't, don't be discouraged. Maybe you were young or maybe you don't remember the exact details. If you look at Scripture, really proof of life, proof of being born again to a living hope is less about pointing back to a past experience and it's more about persevering today, season after season, fruits of the Spirit in your life, being born season after season. One of those fruits of the Spirit is a love for Jesus. Do you love Him this morning, even though you can't see Him? Are you moved by Him? Though you may be hurting, struggling, weary, discouraged, frustrated, yet are you calling out to Him still through sickness, hurt, disappointment, heartache, unmet expectations, loss, wounds, various trials, as Peter would say, yet you still love and believe in Jesus. Though you may have been walking with Him for many years. I was saved when I was 10. I think that now I've been saved for 28 years. Do we still love Jesus? And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're trying to grapple with this question and maybe a really appropriate prayer for you it's a very biblical prayer from Mark chapter 9. I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. Brother, sister, a bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. Don't be discouraged this morning. So I ask you, what stirs your affections for Christ? What is it about Christ that you find lovely? You ever think about that? Is it how patient he is with his disciples? Is it his compassion for the crowds that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Is it how tender his heart is towards tax collectors and sinners? Man, I love that about him. Is it the way that he encouraged children to come to him? I love that. I'm always moved when I read about him approaching Jerusalem, the time of the triumphal entry, and when Jerusalem comes into sight, he begins to weep over it. I'm always moved by the fact that in the last hours of his life, <clears throat> he chose to wash his disciples' feet. That like a lamb before the shearers, he was silent. His humility... It's intoxicating that though he existed in the form of God, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He's the best. Don't you love him? Even though we may be experiencing various trials, even though our faith hasn't been made sight, yet we still continue. We still press on. How is that? 
How is it that that happens? Well, I saved one last course from Peter's gospel meal to the end. This is the dessert, if you will. One more gospel truth to comfort you with that I think Peter comforted these believers with. One more course to help sustain us on this journey just a little bit farther. Let's put it together. We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's kept in heaven for us. One more piece. Let's read verse 5. Let's read verse 5 again. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Brother, sister, the fact that you are continuing in the faith this morning is evidence that you are being kept by the Lord. That we can have confidence because we're being guarded, protected, guarded through faith. This is how it works. God's power guards us because His power is the means by which our faith is sustained. That we can be comforted knowing that God will work to preserve our faith through sufferings and trials and life. He's guarding you. He's sustaining you. He's keeping you to the end. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So take heart, brother and sister. Think on these things this morning. If you're in Christ, you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus to an inheritance that is being kept for you. And even though you struggle, even though you doubt, you are being guarded by God's power. Put that in your mind. Rest on that. Think on those things as we endure various trials together. Let's pray. Father, you're so good and kind and loving to us. Father, you're so faithful to us. Lord, you've blessed us with so much, Lord, that often we take for granted. Father, be with my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, be with brothers and sisters who may be watching online, who may be homesick, or who may be struggling. Lord, comfort them, be near to them. Lord, bring them through these trials. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would just continue to keep us. Keep us. Sustain us. Don't quench this flickering flame. Lord, help us. Lord, your mercies are new each morning. Keep sustaining us. Father, we depend on you for all of these things. We know that you are faithful and you are able to do it. So we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is 
been a sermon from Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham.